Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Hey, last week we started a series called Legacy. And Legacy, as Gabby just shared, is a once a year offering that we do every year, giving above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings, because we believe that there is so much more that God wants us to do, that God wants us as individuals and as a church to do in our community. And we believe that through Legacy, that we can continue to do those things, right? Some of those things that Gabby just shared right now, we're talking about uh, our facilities, we're talking about missions and charities, talking about church planting. We need more churches in Australia and all around the world so that people could hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so through Legacy, we can do things in these four walls and outside the four walls. But can I say this as well? Legacy doesn't just do something out there. It does something inside here as well. It does something inside our hearts. It reveals things to us. It reveals how we see generosity. It reveals what really controls or who controls our hearts and our lives. It, can, it pushes back against the mentality of scarcity in the world. And I know that there's a lot going on right now. I know that the interest rates are, are going up and there's inflation. But we believe in a God that no matter what the circumstances, He can see us through. And so legacy is an opportunity to highlight and it reaffirms what we believe. It shows how generous we are. Legacy is less, is less about what we leave for people and more about what we leave in people. You know, you can leave money for people in bank accounts. You can leave homes. You can do experiences in life and travel and do all those kinds of things, which I think is great. But there is something greater that you can leave for someone than for them, but you can leave in them. And I believe that the greatest gift that we can leave people is the message of Jesus Christ. God come to heaven as man, lived a perfect life, died for us so that we might know Him. And that's the message that we want to leave in people, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Last week, uh, Pastor Miles kicked off our series and uh, by a video message. And if you were here or you saw it online, you'll know that he started, he started hard. Like he was at a number nine within about five seconds. And then he went to a 10, kept it up the whole message. I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring that much energy this morning, but it was a great message. If you missed it, I want you, please go back and watch it. It's on our YouTube channel. It's on our podcast. You can have a listen there. And I want you to really do that, to grab a hold of Pastor Miles, our lead pastor, his heart and his desire for our church this year through Legacy. What did he speak about? He talked about the principle of first. God wants our first. He wants the best of our worship. He wants the best of our lives. He wants the best of our talents and our gifts. He wants the best of our finances and our abilities. And He left us this. He wants the first of our hearts. And He left us this challenge. Is God first in our finances? And it was a great question. And it had me thinking this week and, and meditating on it and pondering. And I wonder how that question impacted you this week. Today, I'm continuing our series of a message called Barriers to Generosity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great church that we're a part of. I thank you that we're a part of the Capital C Church, the body of Christ. I thank you it's your plan to reach the world with the gospel message of Jesus. 
So today I pray as we delve into your scriptures, as we look at generosity, as this whole month we talk about being generous people, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to us, would be ministering to us, God. I pray that we have open ears to hear, open hearts to receive, God, what you are saying to us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm so glad I'm in church this morning. I got my first full-time job back in 1997, and it was a traineeship uh, as part of my university degree. Some people are laughing right now because they weren't even born in 1997, and that's when I got my first full-time job. And so during my third year of university, there was an opportunity to do a traineeship for one year, and then you would finish off your university degree uh, part-time if you chose to do that. So I got this traineeship, and I was working at the Faculty of Business uh, at Victoria University in the IT department on the IT help desk. I was a customer service officer. Actually, I think I was a customer service assistant. I wasn't yet an officer. I was still an assistant, a CCS, customer service assistant. Yeah, that's the one. And my roles involved uh, maintaining the computer labs, helping staff with issues with their computers and different software that they had, installing patches and updates, and uh, helping students in the labs and printing and all those kinds of things. And it was back in the, the good old days where computers were always having problems. Like today, these computers, I reckon they're pretty good. You hardly ever have a drama with them. But back then, there was always problems. And so we were pretty busy, kept pretty, uh, uh, pretty busy doing that. My full-time salary uh, for that year was $25,000 before taxes. $24,000 before taxes. And, and man, I thought, I was like 19, 20 years of age, I thought I was the king. Like I was bringing home $400 a week before tax. I was like, this is so much money. It was awesome. Anyway, at the end of the year, I must have done so well that they offered me to uh, join permanently. And so I got a pay rise. I think I was on $28,000. And um, then I, I went through another role in another area. And I think I got $33,000. And then I, I achieved what was like before you sort of started getting into management. I got to a huge six. Now, I don't know what the levels are these days, but it was a huge six, and that was $39,000 a year. And I was like, this is awesome, but I discovered something. When you're married, you can never have too much money. I discovered something that as my salary increased, it never seemed to be enough. And within four, three or four years, five years, we had kids. And then I discovered it was definitely not enough. When the kids came along, the, the salary increases were not enough. Has anyone ever noticed that? that? No matter what season of life you're in, you're starting off, right, your first full-time job, or you've been working, work, working for a long, long time, like, like you're now in senior management, whatever it is, or you're running your own business, or, or you're doing well, it just never seems enough to meet the bills, to pay the mortgage, you know, to, to, to put food on the table for the, for the clothes that you have to wear, you know, some new clothes. It just doesn't seem that there's enough. And, and we can think that this is a uniquely 2023 thing. We can think, well, it's today, you know, it, it's unique. Or we can go back all those years ago and think that it's a 1997 thing, right? Not having enough. Well, it isn't. U.S. oil tycoon J.D. Rockefeller, have you heard of him? John D. Rockefeller, if you've been around, you've heard of this guy. He was once asked the question, how much money is enough? Hey, John, how much money is enough? 
And his response was this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now you have to understand, he was asked this question in 1913. In 1913, his wealth was the equivalent of 3% of the U.S. GDP at the time. If we were to equate that in today's terminology, the, the, the GDP, 3% of the U.S. GDP at the moment, is $750 billion. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, John D. Rockefeller said. Okay, so maybe it's a uniquely 2023 thing. Maybe a 1997 thing. Maybe it's a 1913 thing, but it isn't. In 520 BC, the prophet Haggai, he comes before the Israelites to bring them a message from God. And Israelite, some of the Israelite people have returned from captivity back to Israel, back to Jerusalem. And they're starting a building project to rebuild the temple of God, which had been destroyed. And Haggai challenges them about their current economic and spiritual condition of their hearts. If you've got your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Haggai. Chapter 1, verse 3, if you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains in ruin? Talking about the temple. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have you filled. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes in it. They were living in a kind of condition, in a kind of way where it just seemed like they never had enough. And Haggai rebukes them for living a self-focused life that had forgotten God. A life that was all about themselves that have forgotten God. And he asked the question about their fruitless prosperity. Has it brought the satisfaction you hoped it would? And that question cut to the heart of the Israelites. It cut them deep. And today that same question so many thousands of years later can also cut to our hearts. Has all of our striving and possessing and achieving brought us the satisfaction we hoped it would. In the mid-20th century, the U.S. Air Force came up with an acronym to help them with their pilots to make decisions when they got into dogfights while they were flying in the air against enemy combatants. And the acronym was O-O-D-A. And it stood for Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. And so observe was to observe where the enemy plane is in relation to yourself. Then there was the word orient. It was to orient themselves to the enemy based on radar instrumentation, based on uh, um, feedback and data they might be receiving from their command or from other pilots in the air. Then there was decide, make a decision. Then there was act, to act on the decision. This is the second iteration of this acronym that they came up with. Originally, it was just ODA, which was observe, decide, and then act. And that was the acronym that they had when the aeroplanes that they had were just propeller aeroplanes. 
They weren't jet aeroplanes. They were very slow. And so you had enough time to be able to see an aeroplane coming towards you. You had enough time to look around and to observe on your own senses and to act accordingly. But what they discovered is as the aeroplanes got faster and faster, and the ordinance got more powerful and it could be used from further and further distances away, they were no longer able to rely only on what they observed. They now had to start to orient themselves using additional information that came external to what they were seeing or to what they knew. See, when you simply observe with your own eyes, you lack the full picture and can fall victim to deceptions, lies and half-truths. And we sometimes don't realize that what we observe about truth when it comes to money and finances and generosity and investment and security is being shaped by what the world says, but not what God says. Robert Foster, in his 1981 book, this is a book that was written over 30 years ago, has this to say, freedom of simplicity Contemporary culture is plagued by the passion to possess. The unreasoned boast abounds that the good life is found in accumulation, that more is better. Indeed, we often accept this notion without question, with the result that the lust for affluence in contemporary society has become psychotic. This is 30 years ago. Can I tell you, I feel like it's even worse now. We have completely lost touch with reality. Furthermore, the pace of the modern world accentuates our sense of being fractured and fragmented. We feel stressed, hurried, breathless. The complexity of rushing to achieve and accumulate more and more threatens frequently to overwhelm us. It seems that there is no escape from the rat race. Does anyone, does anyone relate to this today? Has anyone experienced this in their own life today? Come on, we're authentic here at Elevation Church. Like this is real, yeah? We experience this in our lives, the escape from the rat race. And see, this is what we experience when we observe as the world says to observe. When we look with our own eyes, but we're not to observe as the world says. The Scriptures say that God has told us to do not be transformed. Sorry, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't conform to what the world says, to be transformed by the renewing of the minds. O-O-D-A. See, we can observe with our eyes what's happening around us, but we need to orient. We need to orient our life, our, our, our generosity, our hearts around other information that we can receive. And how do we receive this information? We receive it through the radar, through the promptings, through the talkings, through the the earpiece in in our headset of the Holy Spirit. We're to orient ourselves to how He talks to us. See, we need His radar. We need His instrumentation. We need His additional set of eyes that sees the bigger picture, which we can't see inside the space that we occupy. The Holy Spirit is our radar. He's our set of eyes. He's our instrumentation as we orient ourselves to what He says. Instead of what we observe and what the world observes, then we can do the rest. We can decide and act as disciples of Jesus Christ. Turn to someone this morning and say, this is some good preaching this morning. 
in my remaining time this morning. I want, I want us to look at how God's Word, the, the, the thing that orients our life is the Word of God. If, you know, so many people speak to me and they say, man, I'm not, I've never heard the voice of God. You want to hear the voice of God? Open up your Bible. The voice of God is written in pages and words you can read. It's in the Scriptures. So today we're going to open up the Word and we're going to see how it can orient us to look at two barriers that can often stop us from being generous in our lives. If you're writing notes, write these down. Number one barrier to generosity is we can treat the temptation of greed lightly. In the New Testament, there's a young man called Timothy, and the Apostle Paul has taken him under his wings, and he's training him, and he's leading him, and he's uh, uh, leading him into ministry. And Timothy's going to take over some church, and he's going to be a, uh, an influential member in the early church. But Timothy has, uh, Paul has some advice for him about wealth and greed in 1 Timothy 6.17. Paul says to Timothy, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, you will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This morning, I don't know about you, but the life that I want to grab a hold of is the truly life that God has for me and for my family and for my church. The problem with this passage of Scripture, though, is that as we read it, we don't really think that it applies to us. We read these verses and we think that this applies to someone else. We're like, yeah, this, this applies to that person sitting in front of me. We think this applies to the person behind me. We think that this scripture is written for someone else, the person at church, you know, at, at work, and it's not applicable to me. In the 2018 Global Wealth Report, Australia's average wealth per adult placed us as the second highest in the world after Switzerland. And we placed number one in terms of the global median wealth per adult. In 2020, the Australian full-time minimum wage after tax was $34,500. This is the minimum wage after tax in 2000. If you compared that wage in 2020 to the global wage scale all across the world, you would discover that the minimum wage in Australia places a person in the top most wealthy people in the entire world. If you are on minimum wage in Australia in 2020, that makes you richer than 90% of the people in the world. Turn to the person next to you and say, man, I didn't know you were so rich, brother. I didn't know you were so rich, sister. We live in such an affluent society. We live in a time of electricity and, and running water and education and free health care and medicine. And we've got hot water and laptops and smartphones that we're always connected. And we have all these different abilities. We've got international travel that allows us to take four, five, six weeks off to go to a place called Italy later in the year to escape the cold and to go there. And, you know, we've got all these things around us and the ancients from back in the time of Paul back in antiquity 
the rich at that time would only dream of the affluence that the average person has today in Australia. We can think greed is someone else's problem because there's always someone else with more than us. And this creates a barrier to generosity because we don't call out the greed in our own hearts. Today I'm speaking in the mirror, I'm speaking to myself. We can think, well, because of that person, I don't have to because I don't have as much as them. Call out the greed in our own hearts. The desire for more surrounds us and is often in us. We may not say it, but subconsciously, in our subconscious, we are always saying just a little bit more. Money represents security and we underestimate the pull of it. In the scriptures, Jesus talked about this. He talked about greed. He used a word called mammon. It's the word mammon. I'm, I'm not, not mammal, the word mammon. And it's another word that can be used for anything such as money, riches, possessions, fame, things that set themselves above God. And Jesus actually says that these two things, mammon, and God are actually opposed and at opposition to each other. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says, hey, would you check your hearts when it comes to mammon in your life? When you check your hearts when it comes to greed. Don't compare yourselves to others Compare yourself to how I am speaking to you and leading you in this area of generosity. First point, barrier to generosity is we treat the temptation of greed lightly. Point number two is we want to possess rather than steward. If the keys could come, that would be great. We want to possess rather than steward. How do you view what you have? How do I view what I have? So what you have, your, your possessions the, the home that you live in, maybe the cars that you drive, uh, your career, uh, the school that you go to, uh, the clothes, your family and friends, the gifts and the abilities that you have. How do you view those things? How have you come about to have those things? How was it that you were able to, over the years, have those things in your life? Did you, did you work hard? Maybe you studied Maybe if we're talking about richness of friends, you were just a, a great person to be around. You're a friendly person. Uh, you've invested. You developed your skills. You're upskilled. You, whatever it was, you, you did all these things. You did it. So, that's, so now you're here. I did this. Look how well I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look at, at, at my hard work, which has enabled me to be where I am today to possess my possessions. But what we don't realize is that we're not owners of what we have, we're managers. We're not owners, we're managers. Everything we have comes from God and we manage it on His behalf. He's, he's like, He's in, invested that inside us, but we manage it on His behalf. It's like if you work and you put money towards superannuation and, and most uh, places of employ have to put some money aside for you into your superannuation. That money is given to those superannuation managers. They manage your money on behalf of you. Like they don't get to take that money and use it for themselves. 
I mean, that kind of stuff sometimes happens, but you know, they sh- that's. But they manage the money for you. We manage what God has given to us. God reminded the Israelites this in the Old Testament, and He reminds us today, Deuteronomy 8 18. But remember, remember, it is so easy to forget God, isn't it? It is so easy. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to His ancestors as it is today. The Scriptures say it is God who has given us all that we have. He has given us the blessings, the ability to produce. And so, yes, we have taken abilities that He has given us, opportunities, and we have stewarded those to get us to where we are today. But this Scripture says it is God who gives the power. God who gives the blessing. God who gives the increase. God who produces the wealth. Everything comes from Him. Everything. Everything you have right now comes from God. He's the owner of everything we have. And He's got an interest in and He cares about how we steward the gifts, the abilities, the talents that He has given us to manage in our lives. When we live like owners instead of managers, we get our value from our possessions instead of getting our value from God. See, when you take ownership of your possessions, and you're like, look where I've got, look what I've accomplished, look at all that I have done. You take ownership of that instead of being a manager. You start to get your value from what you have. Am I the only person who's experienced this? Come on, am I, am I preaching to anyone this morning? We think that our possessions infer the wealth in our lives, but they don't. They don't. You know, I'm valuable because I've got a big house. I'm driving the new car. I've got the latest iPhone 15 Max S Ultra to the top. You know, I don't know what naming convention you're going to come up with next. It's getting out of control over there. Someone write to them. I got the latest up-to-date fashion. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing the latest threads. You know, I've got the latest shoes on. Kicks. Is that the word all the young kids are doing today? Kicks. Someone send the meme uh, to, you know, how there's the guy saying, hey, 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 little kid. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Hey guys, you know, what's his name? Stephen, the guy with the buggy eyes. That's the guy. He does that meme. Have you seen it? Where he's like trying to dress up like a young guy. Like, hey guys, what's up? I'm cool. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> appears that I'm the only cool one here keeping up to date with all the, the latest memes. I've got young kids, right? They, they send me all the TikTok memes. They keep me fresh. Get some kids, they make you relevant. Apparently not in my church because no one understands it. <laughs> uh, we just lost all the impact. I'm valuable because I've got this. I drive the, the, the newest car. I've got the great house. You know, look at, look at, look at my hairstyle. It's, look at my hair car. Look at the shoes that I wear. Look at all these things. This makes me valuable possibly more valuable than the other person down the street look at me because I am taking ownership possession of the things that God has given me to manage not own and that kind of life is a 
is a, a life of condemnation because you can't keep up. There's a new iPhone coming out tomorrow. There's a new estate down the road and they're building bigger McMansions than your McMansion. There's a brand new, you know, I don't know, Mercedes S-Class 500 coming out. I mean, how many of us are driving one of those? I don't know, but there's a new Kia coming out tomorrow better than your one. There's a younger man, a younger girl coming along down the street that looks better than you do. Even though you've spent 40 hours this week at the gym, there's always new models, better things coming. And if you get your value and worth from things, you're never going to be satisfied in life. You're never going to feel like you're you're never going to feel value. You know, as a pastor, oftentimes it's it's, it's easy to fall in the trap of finding value from your church finding value from the size of your church and the, all the types of things that you're doing. And uh, there's some people here in this room who know what that's like. And, and so you catch up with, with your pastor friends and it's just, like, it's just like you guys, right? When you catch up with your business friends and it's just like, you know, everyone's like, ah, oh, my church is this big or my church is doing this. And if your church is flying, you're like, yeah, my church is doing this. But if it's not going so great, you're like, can I skip this meeting today? Why? Because you're trying to find value in the things that you're doing. Maybe you're, not pre- maybe you're not leading a church, but maybe you've got a business that you're trying to establish. Maybe you've got a career and you're trying to progress. And maybe you've got kids and you've got a marriage and you're trying to have the best marriage you can. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you're at an older age now and you've got grandkids and you're trying to bring them up. It doesn't matter where we are. We're always trying to be better. I don't have anything with achieving in life. I've got nothing against that. But this is what the problem is. If I find my value and whether my church is 500 people or 100 people, I'm never, ever going to be satisfied. I'm never, ever going to be in the place where God wants me to be because I'm going to get to 500 and then I'm going to start to be in a crowd of people who've got church that are 1,000 or 2,000. And I'm going to be, well, I'm not making it. I'm a loser. I'm not as good as those other people because, you know, my church is 100 people instead of 500. Or it's 500 instead of 2,000. And you know what I've come to realize recently? I'm striving to find value in something I can never find value in. I can only find value in the value that God assigns to my life. The value that God inherently has put in every man and woman, inherently, every single person. And He shows the value of us by coming to earth to die for us. He shows the value. And so today I'm living a life that says, God, if you will that we are a church of 500 people, great. God, if you will that we are a a church of 100 people, fantastic. God, I'm going to find my value in your will for my life, not my will for my own life. And the freedom is this. The freedom is this. Your value is no longer uh, 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 determined by what you own. Your value is now determined by God. I think I need to say this again for some other people. Your value is not determined by what you own. 
Your value is determined by God. This is off my notes, but there's a, 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 a Proverbs in the Scripture, uh, a parable in the Scriptures. The talents, the talents, right? The guys with the talents. Five talents, three talents, one talent. Depending on which version you read, there's another one that's 10, 7, and 3, something along those lines. But five, three, and one. And we look at the guy with the one talent and we think, oh man, what a loser. He's only got one talent. These other people have got three or five. Was that only me? Now, come on, most of us are like the rest of us. We look at the one talent man and we think, yeah. And then we read the story and we're like, yeah, see, we knew he was a loser. He only had one talent. The issue wasn't that he had one talent. The issue was that he thought that he owned the talent and he didn't use it for the master. Whether you got five talents, three talents, or one talent, that is not the issue. The issue is how am I managing what God has given me in my life? How am I using it for God? See, my value is determined by God and what He says. He says, you are loved. You are worth my sacrifice on the cross. You are my delight. You are valued. He says all these things. We're defined by Him, not by things, achievements, or possessions. Being a steward of what God has given us brings peace, peace to our lives. Today, as I finish, I want us to think about these two barriers to generosity. Let me ask you some questions. This week, pray about these, meditate about these, think about these things. The first thing we talked about is we treat the temptation of greed lightly. I want you to think about this. Have you considered the pull of greed on your life? Have you considered that maybe there is, a, there is a string that gets pulled, a pull of greed in your own life. And then think about this. How, would you, how could you orient yourself to start to listen to what God says about generosity and less observing what you see through the eyes of the world about generosity? Come on, consider the pull of greed. Orient your life to what God says about generosity. And then the second point was we want to possess rather than steward. Are there areas of your life that you are owning instead of stewarding? Are there areas of your life where you are taking possession instead of using for God and managing those areas? And how might you hand over the reins of those areas to God this day? This year at Legacy, we have an opportunity to activate generosity. We have an opportunity to activate faith. We have an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna live my life a generous life. Hey, you know what? I realize that I'm a steward and I want to steward well. We live our lives that can say, hey, listen, I know everything that is going around. I can see everything that is happening in the world today. But I believe that we have a God who is faithful, who is true to His Scriptures. And when He says that He is the one who provides us the way to generate wealth, He is able to do it in our lives regardless of what's going on. And we have an opportunity to be part of something that would not leave something for someone, but would leave something in someone. To know the Creator, the Gospel message, salvation, personal relationship with Jesus, to receive eternal life, to know peace and goodness and love, to know Jesus, to follow Him, to know His goodness, His contentment, and His peace in our lives today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word and Your Scriptures. We thank You that as we read it.